If you don't design the life you want to live, your life will be designed for you. I know this for a fact. It will be designed for you by your environment, by your culture, by other people, even by your own habitual, comfortable self, right? So how do you lean into designing a life that you want to live in a healthy, wise, high-impact way? Today on Headspace, here we go. If we don't design our lives, our lives will be designed for us. I think that's a fact. Most of us, if we think deeply enough about it, will realize that it's true. So how do you design a life that you were meant to live that makes you feel fully alive, but also serves others? I admittedly have been on the extreme side of professional ADD, and I've been a recording artist, an evangelist, an entrepreneur, an investor, even uh, a coach. So I, I think I've ventured more than most people. Not all of us are in that extreme side of things, but I think all of us really are trying to find our way, right? And design a life that fits who we are. So today what I want to do is I want to share what has worked over the years because because of my professional ADD, I've really experimented quite a bit. I've made a lot of mistakes. Uh, so I have a bunch of practices that I think work really well. If we're talking about designing a life, we need to start by talking about how to design one single day. Uh, if you subscribe to my newsletter, christianrayflores.com, you'll get weekly content that is both both text and videos, some of these videos, uh, about some of the stuff that I'm talking about more in depth. So how do you win the day? Well, do you have a morning routine and an evening routine? First question. And the reason for that is because the evening routine will help you sleep through the night and have your eight hours a day, which is crucial. I don't care if you're 20 or 60 years old, it's crucial for you to sleep at the very minimum of eight hours a day if you're a human being. Sleep peacefully, happily, wake up refreshed. The morning routine will give you an intention, right? The lens through, you, through which you look at, at your day. And your intention will actually dictate on how you spend the day. It's going to be high impact, it's going to be high stress, it's going to be react, reactive, proactive, all of these things. The intention is formed in the morning routine. And in my practice, for example, what I do is, is, is a combination of prayer, meditation, journaling, and walking physical exercise, right? The, all of those things are in my every morning routine, and it sets me with an intention that then I explode in the, into the day, and I can now see the next thing that I wanna to talk to you about. And the next thing is the balance between the important and the urgent. Most people who are not very intentional during the day will absolutely lean towards being reactive, so they're gonna only work or exclusively work on the stuff that is urgent and not enough on the stuff that is important. And that keeps you guaranteed in a rat race, right? In a hamster wheel, you're always reacting, always reacting. You're not creating new, new ideas, more efficient ways of doing things, new creative ways to develop anything in life, right? So if you set your intention right and win the day, you will actually understand how to combine the urgent and the, and the important in a way that is balanced and that builds you up uh, over the long haul. What is the 80-20 of the day? What is the stuff that is high impact that will give you 80% output with 20% input? And I prioritize those things, actually. Um, so high impact is another filter that I use to look at the day. The other filter that I use to look at the day is fun. Breaks 
three or four breaks during the day, talk with Deb, I can smile and give her a kiss and give her a hug. I can maybe watch five minutes of SNL or something like that, break for food and enjoy it and not be in a hurry, not be in a rush, not be stressed out. So these this punctuation of fun during the day helps me tremendously because it also changes the lens and lights it up for me. I am more engaged, more aware, more happy, more joyful about the day. And even when I interact with people, that helps a lot. One last thing about designing the day that I want to mention, although I mentioned it in passing in the beginning, is moving. We are, as human beings, designed to move every day, as a matter of fact, throughout the day. So it's completely unnatural for us to be sitting down for six, seven hours straight, or even two, three hours straight. So getting up, sitting down, uh, moving around, going for walks, lifting weights, having that, having your body interact with the, with the environment is huge. It actually makes you not only stronger, but it actually makes you smarter, happier, more joyful, and less anxious. Uh, even the chair that I'm sitting uh, in now is a wobble chair. So if you see this, this is me moving as I'm working on my computer, right? I'm not static here. If you learn how to design your ideal day, and not all of them will be ideal, you will win the day. And if you win the day, more often than not, you will win the week. And you can apply those same principles to designing a week. So let's talk about the week. Again, same principle, urgent, important. Both are at play. You can't just do just the important stuff. It's just not realistic. There's going to be also urgent stuff on your plate. But if you don't pay attention, if you're not intentional, the urgent will always displace the important, right? So that's one. High impact, right? 80-20 principle. What has the highest impact on the things that you want to do? Priorities. And then that actually leads you to the bigger questions. What do you say no to? That is probably the hardest thing for me because I'm A, ADD, B, passionate, and I just love people, right? So saying no, it's really hard for me. It's something that I aspire to and I'm getting better at with time. But what do you say no to if you look at your week? And do you even have the time where you look at your week and you go, okay, I want the big picture here. So what to look in the big picture of your week to be able to design a really good ideal week? When do you rest? I rest Friday night to Saturday night. I have a Sabbath, complete rest, complete rest. I do nothing that even resembles pr productive stuff, right? <laughs> even dieting. We don't diet on, on, the, on the Sabbath day. It has changed my life and made me into a better person, um, a better professional, all of those things. So the question is, when do you rest? Is it planned? Is it on the calendar? If it's not the calendar, you're not going to rest. Do you actually truly rest? Most Americans will say answer no to that question, and that's a huge opportunity to improve your life in an amazing way, right? Next question about the week is when do you serve? And when where do you give? Where do you worship? Do you have spaces in time and in in space and fellowship where you can go and connect with people and go to church, for example. And if, you, if you're not a religious person, that's fine. But places where you can serve others, where you can give and overflow onto others. And the reason for that is because that changes who you are, changes your demeanor. So you can actually be intentional about that. When do you do the non-negotiable? So there's things that are non-negotiables in life, things that are so high priority, so important to your life, that if they're not on the calendar, you're going to slip or you're going to plateau right? What are the non-negotiables? For example, for me, these days, 
putting out one episode of Headspace a week is non-negotiable. So the time to think about it, to write it out in general sort of terms, the outline of an episode, and to record it and then to produce it, it's a non-negotiable. So all of those things are on my calendar. I know when that happens ahead of time. When do you make yourself available for the unknown? So it's really, now I'm going to talk about not what you put in the calendar, but the spaces you create in the calendar that are open on purpose intentionally. And there's different ways of, of thinking of it. One of those things is the unknown. Meetings that will pop up that you have to put somewhere. Hey, do you want to meet? Yes, I want to meet. When can, when can you meet? You actually know two or three spots in your calendar in your week where those things go. And you say, oh, I have three options for you. Boom, 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 boom. New connections, research, things like that. The other unknown and empty spaces that are very important in the calendar is spaces to create. Spaces that are completely protected in your calendar where you actually do nothing and think. Those are the spaces when the new future, when our new futures are built and designed. So if that's not intentionally put in the calendar one way or another, uh, you're not going to do these things. You're going to react, react, react. You're going to get things done, get things done, get things done. But it's not going to grow. You're not going to be innovative. You're not going to create something that was not there before. You're just going to repeat what is already there and what was there in the past. When do you learn? Here's another one, right? Do you read books? Most Americans, more than half of Americans, I think uh, the stats are uh, in 2023, will not read one book the whole year. If you want to expand, if you want to grow, if you want to compete in the, and, and be better than other people in the marketplace in a world that is accelerating, you know, you, you have to learn. You have to learn. I read about two books a month, maybe three books a month. And I have three to four, maybe three to five podcasts that I follow. Not all of them I, I listen to every episode, uh, but many of those I do actually, you know. Um, when do you learn? Is there an intentionality in your week about learning? Wow. Can, do, you, do you see just how incredible that can be if you implement some of these ideas? And your week will look very different from mine, and my week will look very different from yours, but it will change your life if you think of it that way. So before I talk about designing my year, uh, which uses some of the same principles, but there's some specifics also to it. What I want to do is tell you that if you are like really into it right now and you're like halfway through the episode and you're going, oh my gosh, this is amazing. This is going to change my life. You might want to look into our coaching program, uh, Exponential.Life. Um, this is what we do, essentially. We look at seven dimensions of life with people that really want to be high achievers and they want to increase their impact, their career, their quality of life. And we do it in a very structured way, very hands-on, high accountability. So if you're geeking out on this, you might want to look into, into Exponential. So obviously those same principles, if you're tracking with me, you can use to design a month, to design a quarter. But we'll zoom out completely into, let's say, a year and talk about what are the specifics about designing a year. Well, first is breaks. That's the first thing I look at. Where are the breaks? It's Christmas break, obviously the normal organic breaks in American life, family vacations, couples vacations, the difference between us and the kids going somewhere and me and Deb going somewhere. How does that work exactly? 
those are really important decisions to make ahead of time. Professional engagements as well. I think conferences, trainings, those are big and they have to be budgeted for because they are an investment of all kinds of things, right? Money, time, et cetera, travel. So let's talk about designing your life and we're zooming all the way out, right? Here's my question. Obviously, most of us are in whatever place and there's always something that you're unhappy with. But the better question is, are you unhappy or happy with the direction of your life? Because happiness and joy and fulfillment actually don't come from achievement. They come from progress more than achievement. So if the direction is correct, you can find ways to really enhance that. But if the, if the direction is off and you're just sort of, you know, put my my head down and I keep going in the direction that I somewhere inside of me know it's just the wrong direction. Um, it's probably a good idea to just take a step back and try to redesign your life because progress in the wrong direction is not progress at all for you. Are you living your life mostly relying on your aspirations or do you have a plan to reach the aspirations? And then the deeper question is, do you have a system to support the plan to reach those aspirations. And I think most of us have aspirations. Now, there are some people that have no aspirations, no judgment here, but most people have aspirations. Most people have some sort of plan to get there, like three or four steps, whatever. And then where most of us, I think, fail and then get disappointed and disillusioned and actually sometimes bitter is because we don't have the systems to support the steps to take us to our aspirations. What is not working? If the plan is great and the direction of my life is actually there, the steps are there and the direction is correct, I can look at the systems and not be overwhelmed, not be depressed, not be stressed out and go, okay, let's change the systems. What can I change? Are you living your version of a fulfilled life or someone else's? And that's a deep question, right? Because you go, yeah, of course it's my version. I want to do this. Yes, and many of us have these motivations that are so deep under the surface that we don't even acknowledge them. We're not self-aware enough. And it's really important to dig into these things, right? Because we live sometimes for decades, the dreams of our fathers or mothers or societies or our environments, right? Whose dreams are we living? And to purify that dream, that, that desire to be your dream, uh, is hugely important because once you lock into that, uh, there's no stopping you. Are you sort of having a career or having a calling? And both can coincide, obviously, right? But a career is, if it's just pure career and it's devoid from this general sense of purpose, um, the career probably will plateau on, on, on at some stage. You know, you might do well here, 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 and then just sort of get stuck here. But if you have a calling and developing the calling, it's, it requires much more emotional labor, much more digging, much more spiritual labor, may I suggest. And sort of work, doing this work of calling and career and combining those things uh, is huge in designing life, right? Uh, because if you want to design a life, you will have to go somewhat against the grain, and that is painful, that requires sacrifice, that requires overcoming obstacles, intentionality, that requires this higher motivation. And I think a calling provides that motivation. So my next question is this, are you working your career, your, your calling or career or both in a linear track, which is, okay, this is my space and I get promotions 
And the upside, obviously, is that it's faster. The downside is not always transferable to other spaces. Or you're sort of working in a spiral, which is sort of increasingly a thing that I see happening, is where people can be reach a certain level here and then just switch over to either another area of the same space or a completely different space just to acquire a broader, um, broader skill set and worldview. And that's the upside of that is that it's much more transferable and flexible. You can maneuver. The downside, it takes longer and it requires more intentionality because you have to learn, you have to sort of feel awkward over and over again as you sort of take on new things that you're not really good at. And the, the second way is my way. That's that's what I've been doing, not because I've been told to, but it was just more intuitive, right? So. And I call that, I think I haven't heard it somewhere, it's called a skill stacking or stacking of skills. I'll just take five distinctive things that I've done in my life professionally. Music, evangelist, entrepreneur, marketer, coach. So within that, that list of things, you have skills within that that are important, that are central, and some of them are peripheral, but also important if you know them. So for example, if I'm a, if I'm a recording artist, which I was for a decade, I was a singer, I was a dancer, I was a songwriter, I was a choreographer, I was a producer, and I was a strategist. So I was strategically creating a career, a, a brand, all of those things. So because I had the sort of a stack of skills there, that really helped me propel that career. So you move on to the next endeavor, evangelist, speaker, motivator, culture shaper, teacher, trainer, coach. So the coach thing starts getting introduced over here. The next one is entrepreneur. So if you're an entrepreneur and you're good at something, it could be a music or carpenter, right? Or a surgeon. Most people really prefer being in a career path rather than um, owning a business. Because if you're an entrepreneur, besides the core skill, you need to be an organizer, a motivator, you understand HR, um, there's partnerships, all kinds of stuff. So you have to really are forced to learn a bunch of skills quickly or your business will go under. So that's entrepreneurship for you. Marketer, it's really interesting how these things start echoing, right? And building one upon the other. So just to give you an example of, let's say one marketing product, let's say a, vid a video, script a video, uh, the video treatment, which basically involves all of the pieces of the video, director, lighting, music, whatever, depending on the, on the scale of it. I can be in front of the camera and speak to a video, which is a skill that's transferable now that I'm on YouTube. I can edit the video, post-produce, color correct. So I can do essentially the whole scope of just that one video. And that's just one thing in the marketing world. You see how those things get stacked. As a coach, I am a mentor, a trainer, entrepreneur, a speaker, a motivator, and a strategist. So you see how sort of broadening your skill sets can create um, opportunities, channels, all kinds of um, abilities to turn into places where you want to turn and design your own life. Yeah, I heard it somewhere. I think it was Naval Ravikant. I think he's the one who said that it's much better to be in the top 25% at what you do across two or three spaces than in the top 1% across one space. Um, and I've experienced both. You know, I, I think arguably I can say as a, as a recording artist, I was probably in the 1% in my space but those skills are not transferable to other spaces unless you sort of start expanding, right? So I prefer the 25 percentile top 
across two or three spaces because it gives me many more choices and abilities to actually design the life. So I hope this was helpful because all of us have that feeling of why am I here? What makes me happy? What makes me of better service and have more impact in the world? Because that makes us happy as well. What helps us succeed in the marketplace and have a family and friendships and love and travel and financial opportunities? How do I design this thing? Uh, we all puzzle over these things. So today was sort of this stream of consciousness, sharing of the things that I've learned after many, many mistakes also, right? But these are the things that have really worked for me and I've seen them work for other people as well. So I hope this has equipped you, uh, blessed you, encouraged you. Thank you again for being part of Headspace. Headspace.